welcome to the RV Entrepreneur Podcast, the weekly show for nomads, work campers, RVers, and entrepreneurs looking to earn a living or build a business while enjoying the RV lifestyle. This week's host is Kimberly Crossland. Let's settle in and enjoy the RV Entrepreneur Podcast brought to you by RV Life. Welcome back to another episode of the RV Entrepreneur Podcast. I am so thrilled to be back because this week, or this month, I guess, I am bringing you Rachel Lyons. Rachel Lyons is the marketer and CEO behind Next Destination Marketing. Two years ago, she started her business from her RV, and today she and her team create strategic websites, social media, and email content to help businesses grow. I met Rachel at the RV Entrepreneur Roundtable last September up in Montrose, Colorado. And from the minute that we started talking, we totally nerded out together over content creation and SEO and all the juicy stuff about building a business around content. And so even if you're not a writer, please tune into this episode because I know that there's going to be little nuggets of wisdom from Rachel herself about how she systematizes her business, how she puts up her boundaries. And also just how she has created a business that supports her RV lifestyle. She is a full-time RVer, as you will hear. She has created a business that supports that lifestyle just through creating content. So if you are considering creating content as a means for starting a business that lets you RV, this is a great episode for you. So without further ado, let's dive right in. Rachel, thank you so much for joining me. I'm really looking forward to this conversation because when we met in person at the RV Entrepreneur Roundtable, I felt like we just instantly connected. Like we were able to just go back and forth and totally nerd out together in the best way possible about what we're going to talk about today. So before we get into that topic, why don't you just introduce yourself, tell us a little bit more about who Rachel is and a little bit of your background. Hey, Kimberly. Yeah, I'm really excited about this. So thanks so much for the invite. So my name is Rachel Lyons. I've been a full-time RVer for four years, and I've been a business owner for two of those years. So I have always been a marketer. My whole career has been in marketing. And when I got on the road four years ago, I actually was a full-time employee working remotely. So that's what I did for the first two years. I was the director of marketing for a medium-sized service business. But after two years on the road, I realized I wanted a little more freedom in my work. That was the same as the types of freedom I was getting in my life as an RVer. So I decided to jump in and try this business owner thing. And then so that's how I started Next Destination Marketing. And what I do with that business is I do digital content creation for my clients. And then in my free time, when I am not doing all the things I do as a full-time traveler, I also do a little bit of fun content creation through my Instagram account, The Taste for Adventure. So it's been a really great journey so far. And I just love RVing. I love marketing. I just love that I'm at this point now where all these things are coming together for me. I love that you said that. So talk to me about the difference that you've experienced between remote work and having your own business. What's been like the biggest thing that's changed for you? Yeah, I think most people have not done both. So it is interesting to have that perspective. The biggest thing is the flexibility. So 
it was good when I was full time where I had much more solid starts and stops. So I was able to work. And then when five o'clock hit, I would close my laptop and then go explore. And of course, the stability of getting a paycheck was a big plus as well. So when I was a full time employee, but the reason I did choose to become a business owner was because I wanted more flexibility. And that has been huge to be able to wake up in the morning and decide that it's a nice weather day, or it's just I'm not feeling productive and realizing, you know what, today is going to be a day that I'm going to take a little bit easier. And then tomorrow, I'm going to put in some extra hours. That flexibility has been huge, as well as the freedom to choose my clients and the type of work that I'd like to do. Yeah, I think that's so important. And it relates specifically to what we're going to talk about today, because one of the things that I have heard from RVers and entrepreneurs about making that leap from maybe remote work or full-time work or corporate work into the entrepreneurial realm is, but I don't have an audience. Who am I going to sell to? Who's going to buy from me? And that can feel really overwhelming and really scary, especially in the beginning. I will say that RVers though, we are not risk averse. I mean, it's risky to RV. You never know who you're going to be camping next to, if you're going to have a blowout on the side of the road. So we're really good at risk already. And I, I love our conversation for today because Rachel, you're going to talk to us about how to make money as a content creator without having to build an audience. And that will take away another one of those pieces of risk. So you can dive into the entrepreneurial world and be so excited about it. So why don't we get started? You've already told us your background. Why don't you tell us about maybe some of the different ways you can become a content creator? What does that really look like? Sure. So I feel like I've done it all. I have tried the model of building an audience to a small extent, not seriously or full time, but I have had some experience as a quote unquote influencer through my Instagram account where I was paid in exchange for creating content and posting that content. And that was a great model. And I've worked with some nice brands through that. But ultimately, I decided that the ROI for that for me personally just wasn't there. I think that there are some people who are incredibly talented at that, where that is the right path. But I decided that that wasn't for me. So I've also tried freelancing as well, mostly through blogging and writing articles. That's what most of my freelance work has been in, as well as creating social media content as a freelancer. And then also working for clients. So those have been the different models, I would say, that are out there that I've tried. I love it. And and I've also done some of the blogging and I've not done as much in social media. I really, I love your Instagram account. I think it's fun and exciting to follow. What I would love to hear more about though is this freelancing model. So Without an audience, it can feel very difficult to go and get those clients. I mean, with like with that client model of someone's going to pay you to create content for them, well, then it's oftentimes they come to you, they send you the products, and you create it. With a freelance model, it's kind of flipped around, right? And so you have to go and get those clients somewhere. You have to somehow go and say, I can do X, Y, Z for you. So talk to me about how you approach the freelancing world. How do you go out and find these clients, especially if you don't have this audience behind you? Yeah. So I think a lot of people think that they will build an audience and the opportunities will come. And I think that's true to an extent in some cases. But I think that the people who are the most successful at making money through content creation 
are people who are going out and pitching and asking for the opportunities. So for me personally, that's how the freelancing started for me because I was working full time at the time when I started freelancing. I had a full time job. I just enjoyed doing writing on the side. So I actually did get my first freelancing opportunity because I had a small audience through my Instagram account and somebody approached me and asked me to write an article for them. However, I know plenty of people who have written for the same outlet where that wasn't the case. They didn't have an audience and they just went around and pitched. I think what people don't realize is they look at these outlets and they think that they need to be at a certain level in order to write for them. When in reality, the tables are sort of turned and a lot of these outlets that people want to write for actually just really need writers and content and great ideas. So Almost every kind of publication, whether it's a website, a magazine, a blog that puts out a lot of content, they're going to have some kind of contact form or email address where you can email them and pitch to that publication. And in those cases, what I recommend to people is don't have stock pitches, (laughs) get to know that publication and come up with a list of ideas that you think would be a great fit for them and send them an email with your ideas and tell them why. If you have previous writing experience, you can reference that as well. If not, that's no big deal. Although it is helpful to send some sort of sample of what they can expect from your work and then follow up, you know, because I know that my inbox is really crazy. (laughs) I'm sure yours is too, Kimberly. And sometimes things get missed. So it's really just the matter of being proactive, reaching out, and then reaching out again, whether that's replying to the email, or maybe even shooting a really friendly DM, you don't have to pester, but just once in a while, just maybe reach out, maybe with a new idea, or we're just, hey, do you need any help at this time? Because I'm available. People will be surprised by how far that can get you with a variety of publications in any industry or niche. Yeah, it's such a good point. That follow up is, it's welcomed. And I think that too too often we sort of shy away from the follow-up because we're like, I don't want to bother them or I don't want to be a nuisance. I'm sure they're busy and they are busy. But having both been the person to pitch and been the person on the other side of a pitch, anytime someone follows up with me, I'm like, thank you. I knew I'd seen your email, but I was really busy. And then I lost it somehow. So I'm really glad you reached back out again. A lot of times it's like you said, like the content producers need content. There's a lot to do. And especially with content creation, I mean, that takes time and time is a limited resource. And so having somebody like you come in and say, hey, I can take something off of your plate is a really big deal. So when you're making these pitches, I have a few questions about your pitch tactics and approach. First of all, when you're looking at who to pitch, do you stay within a certain niche or how do you find these people that you want to pitch or these publications that you want to pitch or companies? So for me personally, I don't freelance full time. So I really just stick to what I enjoy when it comes to freelancing. And for me, a lot of that is travel and RVing. So a lot of the publications that I pitch are publications that I already read and enjoy. That's just what I do personally. But for people who do this full time and maybe want to cast a wider net, that's completely an option as well. So just do what you enjoy. And I think what how aggressive you want to be with it 
is usually in line with how much revenue you want to generate from a freelancing approach. Yeah. And so when you make the pitch, do you put a price tag in there with your pitch or do you just kind of leave that up in the air for them to come back with their own price or how do you approach that? So it depends on the publication. I generally do not say a number until I get to the point where they agree that we want to start looking into putting a relationship together. And then I make sure that we discuss pricing before any work has begun. The reason I personally do that is because sometimes I've been surprised by the numbers that the publication comes back with, and it's a lot higher than I actually would have proposed. So because I've had a few experiences like that, I do actually try to let them come back with a number first. However, I do have a rate sheet lock and loaded and prepared to share with them. And sometimes if I do feel that it is a smaller publication and get the feel that maybe they might not have as much of a budget behind it, then sometimes I will lead with the rate sheet. But it just depends on what I feel about the publication, how large they are, if they're owned by parent companies. That's usually a big indicator of how much budget they have for freelancers as well. So I sort of feel it out and use my intuition. That's perfect. And I I definitely think that that's a wise move because having also been a chronic underpricer, <laughs> it is really valuable when you can give them that opportunity to pay you more than you were expecting and just say, absolutely, I'm worth that. I will receive that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it is really good. Yeah, just being really glad that they don't see my jaw on the floor when they say the price. That's the ideal situation. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I love that. So you said you're not a full-time freelancer. What else do you do to bring in money? How have you diversified your, your revenue? Sure. So it depends on your definition of freelancer, I suppose. So for me, I see freelancer as a project-by-project, article-by-article basis. The main source of my work is what I call the client model. So what I do for the main part of my work is create digital content for clients. So that's a little bit different because that is a long-term relationship. So most of my clients, I have some kind of retainer with, for example, or they approach me with a long-term or ongoing project and we sign an agreement. The difference between freelancing and a client model from my perspective is at least for me personally, I use freelancing as a way to write articles that I want and I'm pitching content that I would like to do. The client model is a bit of the reverse where the client is saying to me, this is what we need and I fulfill that need for them. Sometimes they want ideas and sometimes I'm the one generating ideas as part of the relationship. It depends on the client. Some are very specific and say, this is the specific topic and the outline of the content that we want to do. Others, they say, we want X number of pieces of content, and I send them the outlines to them, and we agree on the topics together before we begin work. But the client model is the main source of income for me. And the reason for that is because it's a little more steady for me. It's ongoing. It's relationship-driven. And I get to know my clients really, really well because I'm an extension of their team. And it also is 
a little more fulfilling their need in the client model. They sort of already know what it is that they want. They just don't have the personnel to get it done. And I'm fulfilling that role. Now, the con of the client model, at least the way I do it, usually the topics are not quite as fun, quote unquote, or not as in line with what I enjoy best because I'm fulfilling a need to create the content that they want. So that's a little bit of con for it. But if you do the right mix and if your pricing is correct, then for me personally, I think it's worthwhile. Yeah. Having been someone who's been a freelancer and a client model as well, I definitely relate to that where sometimes it's not quite as fun or you're not as excited about creating it. And yet there's been times when I've gotten that assignment and I thought, okay, I'm going to do it because you're paying me and it's paying well and it's you know a good contract for me. And you know we have to get the gas money to go from place to place, of course. But then once I get into it, it actually surprises me. I've learned so many things and expanded my horizons just by doing this client model that can be kind of fun too. So that con can also be turned right back into a pro, which I think is really fun about this approach to to making money from the road is you can actually expand in different ways that you might not have even had seen coming. So tell me a little bit about since this is not necessarily you're not pitching, since you're not necessarily writing about the quote unquote, like you said, fun model or fun content. How do you source these clients? If they're not coming to you, how do you source them? How do you find them? Or how do they find you? Absolutely. So for the client model, for me, it's a mix of networking and traditional marketing. So you certainly can pitch to people for them to become your client. That's certainly an an approach that you can take. For me, most of my clients have come from networking and in industries that I have a lot of relationships in. I think finding a niche is really critical when you're doing this kind of work because most of my clients work with me because they know me and they know that I already know their industry. They don't have to explain it to me. And so working with me is a no-brainer. So I work in two main types of industries. I work in moving and relocation, which was actually the industry I was in before I became a marketer on my own, before I owned my own business. And I already had fortunately built a lot of relationships in that industry that I was able to maintain and bring over to my new business. But I also do a lot of work in the RVing, full-time RVing, digital nomad type space as well. And that's the same thing as well. That's networking and relationships. So it's funny because I actually have two different networking online channels and groups that I use. So for my moving and relocation folks, I use a lot of LinkedIn. That's where I'm maintaining a lot of those relationships. So what I do there is I put out content there And I try to not overwhelm it. You just really just one or two content pieces a month where I'm demonstrating knowledge and just providing advice. And by providing advice on those topics, on the marketing topics that I do, those people realize, wait, I need help with that. And then they reach out to me. And then on the RVing, traveling side, it's sort of similar, but I'm doing a lot of that networking through Instagram. 
So through my Instagram account, I'm able to create a lot of relationships, meet a lot of people, and I've been able to source clients that way as well. And that's, of course, supplemented by old-fashioned networking as well. I really believe in that face-to-face contact. So going to RV events and then also going to conferences for this other industry that I work in, the moving and relocation industry. By doing those things, I'm able to keep my face out there, meet new people, meet more people who find out what I do, and that leads to work as well. So, you know, the RV Entrepreneur Summit obviously is a great one. Shout out to that. I met a lot of amazing contacts through that. The Tampa RV Show, the time of this recording is actually next week. So I'm going to head over to that as well. So it's really a mix of putting content marketing out there to remind people that I, I exist and remind people of the skills and knowledge that I provide, as well as just plain old relationships. I think that's really good and really important to highlight because we get so wrapped up in technology. So being able to just go back to the basics, human to human approach and being able to talk to people. I mean, that's how you and I met at the RV Entrepreneur Roundtable. And it was just such a great opportunity there to just connect, just be with each other and connect, play some cornhole, talk some business. It was easy. And I think that's really important. So we've talked a little bit about the client model being that ongoing approach and they sort of give you the need, but how do you collaborate through it? What does that kind of collaboration look like? How do you work with your clients? So what I do personally is I do try to leave it up to the client in how I work with them because I want to help them in the way that is easiest for them. So some clients, for example, I'm joining an existing marketing team or an existing content team. In those cases, they are usually the ones who are driving what content needs to be put out there. I have other clients that are the complete opposite, where they hire me because they don't have any marketing or any content team members as part of their organization. And in those cases, I'm the one doing the driving. So what I try to do for my clients is make sure we have a plan at the start. So for some clients, it makes more sense to do a monthly plan, especially if I'm working with them on social media. For other clients, if we're working on longer form content or longer form projects, then I'm usually giving them a quarterly plan. And what that's saying is, you know, this is the content that we're going to put out. This is when you'll receive the drafts. This is the review period. This is when we'll be aiming to publish and putting that calendar together and then trying to keep them on track. Again, that reminder thing is really critical because while these projects are the number one most important thing to me, I understand is one of many things on most of my clients' plates. So helping them drive the projects and keep everything on track as well is a big piece of our collaboration as well. And clients like to collaborate in different ways. Some have a lot of ideas and input, which I love, and some literally do one read through and say, great, that's perfect. Put it out there. So I think working with people in the way that they want to work with you is really important in these types of relationships. And I try to honor that. Yeah, that's good. I can see though sometimes, especially being an RV entrepreneur, this is where things get a little bit unique for our way of working, our way of approaching life. 
when they want to be on Zoom calls for a long time or something like that. Do you ever offer that? Do you have a workaround for those long-term Zoom calls? Or do you just schedule them in and, and kind of roll with it? And they just know that you're an RVer and that's part of your story, which makes you so fascinating. Oh, man. Yeah, that is a lot of trial and error. So all of my clients know what my lifestyle is. And to be honest, it is part of my marketing in a way people remember me because I'm that girl who's out traveling the country in an RV. Most people tend to remember that. So that is very helpful in my business. But in terms of working with clients on the road, it took a while for me to learn how to set boundaries with my clients and also how to set expectations with them. So with meetings, what I do personally is I use Calendly. I just, I swear by Calendly. I think it's the best tool. And the way that I use it is I have a calendar and I try to push people towards that to schedule time with me. And I say, anytime you want to schedule time with me, that's completely fine. Just put a time on my calendar and it's right here. But secretly on the back end, I have my availability on that calendar as extremely compact and only during the days and times that are best for me to take meetings. And then because my times on the calendar are a little more limited, that tends to allow me to stack meetings together which gives me more productive time and fun time during the day. So that's my little hack. (laughs) But uh, the other piece that it took me a while to realize as well is that some clients wanted to meet a lot. And that honestly ended up cutting into the revenue and scope that I had envisioned for the project. Once I realized that, I started putting a term in place that said that your package includes X amount of time per month for meetings. And then beyond that, there will be a consulting fee. And so once I put that in, clients realized, oh, you know what, this is something I can just email her or text her, or we can just hop on a five minute call instead of setting a 30 minute meeting. Putting that boundary in place, I was really nervous about it. But my clients ended up being completely fine with it. And that was a really good lesson in setting boundaries that I need to remember. (laughs) It's so true, though, because that scope creep, that's one of the big things. And the reason why I wanted to ask you about it is because it's one of the big reasons why people hesitate to start this kind of a model, especially as RVers, because we're trying to design a life where we can explore and be on the road and see the country. And you don't want to be in the middle of a hiking trail and say, I really want to go about another mile further, but I got to get back to the Zoom meeting. And so having those, you know, blocked out periods of time where you can say like your Calendly, I can never say the word right, but (laughs) the Calendly hack of, you know, getting your time together. And so it can be more condensed where you're like, I am usually at the campsite from 2 to 4 p.m. My hiking time or for you because you're a runner, my running time is in the morning and I know that I'm usually here and I'm more focused at this time. And so I can be there and present and I, I don't mind having those calls. And then also putting up those boundaries, because a lot of times when you think about the RV entrepreneur lifestyle, people think, well, you're just on a long vacation and you can just, you know, go travel the world and just hop on whenever and it's, it's no problem. But that's not the case. And that's not why we choose this lifestyle. And so being able to have those boundaries in place is so, so important. Something else I've also done is I use an app. It's a free app called Voxer. And instead of hopping on a call, I'm like, let's start a private box. And so they can box me 
if they have like a giant brain dump about a blog post or something like that, and then I can get back to them at a more reasonable time. It also lets me kind of take a step back and like think about things and then come back with a more educated guest instead of just being rushed on a call. Sometimes that that works better for me personally anyway, because I like to sort of think things through first. <laughs> and also my limited interaction with working with you, Kimberly, you are an absolute champion at the audio message. You just provide the best, most insightful audio messages. So clearly that method works great. <laughs> well, thank you. I didn't even ask for that. Thank you. That was nice of you to say. So we've talked a lot about blogging and about written content. And a lot of people will say, well, isn't blogging dead? And isn't, you know, I, this is all going to video now or podcasting. Of course, we're on a podcast right now and there is certainly a place for video. But blogging is not dead, is it? No, absolutely not. So I am very wide in the types of marketing and digital content that I provide my clients. I do social media content. I also do email and websites and things like that. But in terms of digital content, the main things I provide are social media content and blogs and articles. When I'm talking to clients about the types of content that they should be investing in, I am almost always pushing them towards blogs and articles because those are evergreen or depending on the topic, but usually they are evergreen. And I sort of see digital content and digital marketing as what is your goal? Because I think social media is a really powerful tool. And I think social media content is great for reaching new people and bringing visibility to something, but it is an absolute flash in the pan. And that content usually is only out there working for you for one day, maybe a week if it's really, really successful. On the flip side, blogs and articles, that is out there forever and it actually builds as time goes on. So those types of marketing content actually become more valuable the longer that they're out there because as they are on the search engines, if it is a well-crafted piece of content, of written content, then it will continue to build an audience and Google will continue to recognize that your content is valuable to that audience as time goes on. And so when you're looking at pricing blogs and articles versus social media, you're talking about something that potentially could be bringing in potential customers for or potential readers to that client for years to come. And I just can't think of anything that's more valuable than that when you're talking about the digital content space. Ugh, it's so true. And such a, you put that so well. I mean, the longevity of a blog post is huge and it's not to be overlooked. So that's a really good selling point, especially as you're working with clients and they're hesitant or they're asking about it. Now, if that's, if you're listening, then this is an approach that you want to take, you can say, no, 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 there's so much longevity. Rachel told me there's so much longevity. <laughs> so there's also other types of yeah, content that you way. can create. I'll tell them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> there's other types of content that you can create. It's not just blogs and articles. So if you're not great or don't love, I should say, the written word, you can also do other types of content. What, uh, what else have you seen sell really well out there? Yeah, so I actually used to not sell a lot of social media content, but I have been bringing in more clients for that lately because of reels and short form video. 
we know in that space that that type of content is king right now. And it also is harder for organizations and brands to figure out than just putting a photo and a caption up on a platform. So I have been creating reels for clients. The thing that is good about reels is that it's something that is really valuable and can provide a lot of reach for folks. And I can charge an amount for packages that is worthwhile to me because again, it can be incredibly time consuming. On the flip side, I think some organizations and brands don't realize how time consuming it is to create that type of content. So you really have to sell the value and you really have to find an approach that's going to be worthwhile for them. And you really have to make them understand the breakdown of the time to create that type of content. But once all that is done and you have a client who's on board, it actually is a lot of fun to explore different approaches and try different things in that medium, which is great. Graphic design is another great type of content to sell. I think people don't always think of graphic design as digital content, but it certainly is. I work with some incredible graphic designers, including shout out to Drifter Kate, who is my graphic designer. So that's certainly a type of content that you can sell. And then photography is a huge one as well. I think people forget that if you are an RVer and you're traveling a lot, that means that you have easy access to these places that people are really looking for photos for. And that can be incredibly valuable to work with clients for photography. That's not something that I do personally. There are some clients where I have met up with them and their team to do headshots and team photos and things like that because we needed it for other pieces of content. And so I sold photography to them to move projects forward. I am certainly not a professional photographer, but I do know a lot of folks in the photography space who are selling or working with specific clients on an ongoing basis and sometimes even traveling from place to place for their clients to get photography projects done, which is a pretty cool way to to frame this lifestyle. Oh, yes, absolutely it is. And this really all goes back to everything you were saying earlier. It's about networking because now you can refer people to your graphic designer. You've networked and worked with other photographers. And to kind of bring this topic home of how you can become a content creator without having this huge audience, when you're networking, it's not just networking to find clients. It's also networking to find these referral partners and these JVs who joint venture partners who you can say, you do the headshots, I'm going to write the copy that's going to go alongside that headshot on their landing page. And you, graphic designer, my friend that I know, you go make it look beautiful and bring it all together. There's so much collaboration and it goes into content creation that I think just gets overlooked until you're in the trenches of that. So it's such an important thing to bring to the surface. Rachel, I'm really glad that you joined us today. I could talk to you about this for hours. We did talk about it for like three days at the roundtable. And I didn't even want that experience to end. It was so good to be with you and to be with everyone there. Where can we find you? Let's close it out by you sharing, where can we find you online? How can we see what you're up to and watch how you're, you know, coming out as Next Destination Marketing? Yeah, absolutely. So you can find me for the business stuff at nextdestinationmarketing.com. That's where all my contact info is there on the business side. If you are someone who is looking for 
digital marketing content, I'm happy to help and, and talk it out. Or if you're someone who's looking for business advice, or I also am always looking for vendors, like you said, Kimberly, all of my vendors actually are full-time RVers, which is incredibly amazing and special. So definitely shout me out there. And then on the full-time travel and RV side, my Instagram is at the taste for adventure. That's me and my husband, Jesse. We've been running that Instagram account for as long as we've been traveling and we love connecting with the RV community there. And I just have to say, I am the type of person where like my DMs are always 100% open. I love when people message me. I love when people ask me questions, whether it's about business, marketing, RVing, places I've been. I just love it. To me, that's why I love being on social media. So please definitely check me out and connect with me. And hopefully I, I can help you get a little further along on your journey. That's so refreshing. Someone who likes social media for the social aspect of it. I love that. <laughs> and you're really walking the walk and that you're talking here. So you are networking and you're here to connect and build those relationships. And I just adore that about you. So thank you for joining me today. It's been so fun to talk to you again. And we'll talk to you next week. Wasn't that such a great podcast episode? I absolutely adore Rachel. And I'm so grateful that she came on and shared her heart with us shared a few nuggets of wisdom, let us know exactly how she sets up a business so she can really live this RV entrepreneurial lifestyle. If you found value in this episode, if you have any questions or anything like that, definitely head over to the RV Entrepreneur Facebook group and share a post, ask a question, introduce yourself, let us know what you're working on, especially if you're a content creator, just like Rachel, and we would love to support you on this journey, cheer you along. Come tag me, say hello. I always love connecting with you. And of course, come and send Rachel and myself a DM, just like you heard from her. We love to be in the DMs. We love to form those connections and really bring the social and relationship building back to social media. So come and say hello. We cannot wait to connect with you inside the RV Entrepreneur Facebook group. And I hope you have a beautiful, beautiful week. I will be back next month with another episode. <laughs>